0: Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Take a lick <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for Chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Calm Pock Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and of course living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Combox Feeds. At Combox Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all-natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, Our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Combox Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisper. All right, thank you very much for joining us today and staying with us on this awesome episode. Again, a Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Again, brought to you by our good friends over at Kalmbach Feeds. Again, great show today. We're going to welcome Dr. Maurice Batesky. Uh He is with UC Davis, and he is not only a contributor to Chicken Whisperer Magazine, he comes on this show uh, once every month. He's going to be an uh, important contributor to uh, the second book that I'm currently uh, working on called, uh, well, we don't have an official name yet, uh, the, the Chicken Whisperer's Fact. Or chicken poop book, uh, or is some variation of that. <laughs> but I'm um, really lucky to have him on on board as we uh, uh, all of our experts and poultry that we have uh, from from coast to coast, uh, major universities and, and agencies uh, from coast to coast. Uh, again, um, spreading the chicken love, but doing it in a responsible manner. Uh, science-based, fact-based, study-based information. And today's show is going to be no different, uh, regardless of what you want to call it, uh, special fact or chicken poop show or blockbuster show or whatever the case may be. And uh, this has been uh, very important and a, and a big passion of mine for years. Um, and unfortunately, it is a uphill battle uh, oftentimes. And so I, I'll give you an example. Um, and an and issue, I think, for a lot is just the presentation or, or oftentimes the way it's uh, conveyed. So you might uh, daily visit your favorite uh, Backyard Chicken forum or your Backyard Chicken blog, and you might see somebody just post out there, um, not uh, – I mean, just posting a statement as if it was true, proven scientific fact without a doubt whatsoever on the planet. Like, uh, they'll just post so, – some will have a, a very valid question about worming, deworming, um, when should I worm, how should I worm, if I should worm, all this stuff, what should I use. And it is the season as well, being October with the plentiful pumpkins we have available. And someone will always say, oh, well, pumpkin seeds are – and they they just type a statement. Statement as if it was true scientific fact. Pumpkin seeds are an all-natural dewormer for chickens. Boom. It, you know, it's it's not – it gets a presentation. They're not saying, well – I personally believe, though I have no proof at all, that pumpkin seeds are an all-natural dewormer for chickens, so I give my chickens pumpkins for that reason, or pumpkin seeds for that reason. But they don't do that. They just post because they read it on a blog, they read it on a forum, they read someone else, and it's just, hey, uh, pumpkin seeds are an all-natural dewormer for... And then you get, you know, you reply and say, uh, in this this day and age of of, uh, social media, it becomes very controversial just to say... um, would you care to share any proof that backs that statement up? Because it is a statement. It is not just, I feel like they do from what I've read. I personally, though there's no proof that proves it, I feel like they are, so I give that. It's still a good treat, da No, but they're making a statement. This is that. Apple cider vinegar prevents worms. Apple cider vinegar pre- prevents uh, coccidiosis. Sage prevents salmonella. These are statements, not, I feel like, or I read somewhere, and so I feel I'll do this just in case it works. No, these are statements that they're making as if they were 100% scientifically proven and true. That's what crawls a lot of people's skin, including mine. And then when you challenge them on that, Say, so, "Well, do you have any proof to share for others so we can make a decision whether to do this or not?" And then, of course, you're you're the big mean bad guy because you're saying, "Hey, we'd like to have a little proof here of your statement because you just made a very strong statement that this cures that or or what have you." And then, well, no, I don't. Or and this perfect example, kind of how we go down this line when when, when we talk to folks is that, uh, well, I give pumpkin seed to my chickens and they don't have worms. And then I would respond, well, have you ever had them tested for worms? And they're like, well, no. Well, then how can you then now make the statement, well, I give my chickens pumpkin seeds and they don't have worms, when you've never even had them tested to see if they have worms or not. So now we, now we make two statements that you have no proof to back it up, but it could be false. Um, and then actually I had one lady at one time, thought uh, she thought she had gotten, I'm going to get this guy and said, oh, why, yes, I take my chickens quite frequently to the vet and they, they do not test positive for worms. So I know chickens are an all-natural dewormer for, or pumpkin seeds are an all-natural dewormer for chickens. I said, oh, so at one point your chickens had worms. And she said, no, my chickens have never had worms. And so I go back to say, okay, well, how do you know then that pumpkin seeds are an all-natural dewormer for chickens? Because at, at a minimum... I mean, the scientists like like uh, Dr. McRae and, and Dr. Pateski. I mean, wow, all the stuff that they have to go through to have a valid study. But at, at a minimum here, and we're explaining this, you, first you have to have chickens that have worms tested positive through testing for worms. Then we probably really need to know the variety of pumpkin seeds you use because there's many different varieties. Some may work, some may not, if this is the case. We need to know the variety. We need to know um, the... Um, Dose? How many did you give? How did you give it? Did you give it a whole? Did you uh, make, do a powder with the seeds? Did you grind the seeds? Um, h- how much did you give? What's the dose? How many did you give? Um, how do you know that all your chickens got the same dose uh, of, of, of giving them uh, these these seeds versus this one or that one? Um, and... Uh, You know, uh, and then maybe like a final test that shows that these chickens that had worms at one point after this specific treatment now no longer have worms. And then you go through all that and and they're just like, oh, whatever. (laughs) And then they, you know, goodbye. Uh, But but I'm not the one that made the statement, ma'am. You're the one that made the statement that, uh, by the way or apple cider vinegar prevents coccidiosis or sage prevents salmonella or uh, yogurt um, is a great probiotic for this, that or the other. And we've discussed this for years. It's like the eighth or ninth year we've done the show. And we've had experts come on and talk about the yogurt. We've talked about how um, poultry chickens do not have the uh, enzymes in their gut to properly digest dairy, uh, yogurt included. And then we talk about, you know, well, uh, store, most people go going and buying store bought yogurt. No, I will just buy this cup of Danon yogurt, and it'll be great for the chicken's gut. But we've had experts come on and say, well, there is not enough of the good bacteria in a cup of store-bought yogurt to do anything for your hens at all, mm-hmm. uh, as far as gut flora and probiotic, blah, blah, blah. And, but yet there's plenty of bad stuff because there's high fructose corn syrup, there's artificial colors, there's artificial flavors, there's all this stuff that they, they don't need. And, and, and as being cost-effective, you're spending a dollar a cup. For yogurt every day, that's $30 a month if you give them a cup of yogurt every day because you think you're helping their gut, but yet yeah, you could go out and buy a probiotic designed for poultry for 19 bucks that would last probably much longer than a month. You just drop them in the water. Why don't people do that? Well, you know, my theory when I'm in classes is, well, maybe it's just not as fun you know, to, to take this bottle of probiotic, pour a cap full into your water, and you're done. Yeah, it's not as fun as, you know, here, cheeky, 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 cheeky. And they come up, run in, they have the little daily treat. You, they give them their yogurt and it gets all over their face and it's cute and funny. And uh, but my part about that is that, it, it, you know, not only are you wasting your money at this point, but you, you think you're helping them when you're actually maybe not helping them as much as you think you would be because you read something on the blog or, or forum. And so are, are a lot of these... Um, natural uh, home remedies whatever people see Uh, are they harmful to chickens at the end of the day giving your chickens a cup of yogurt they're going to just drop that tomorrow no but the fear is, or the issue there is, you may not be helping them like you think you are. You go to treat something, and now you're not treating it, and, and they're getting sicker. Um, it's going to be maybe harder to treat now because they're getting sicker. They could death occur because you're not getting proper care or proper diagnosis or proper medications on board, and and, and then more chickens are getting sick because you're trying something that someone read on a blog. So I guess at the end of the day, that's a lot of things we have to think about. And I totally get, I'm totally on board. Let me give you an example, okay? Uh, I've got a, a quirky gallbladder, okay? And um, very, very, rare occasion, twice a year, maybe three times a year tops, I may have a gallbladder attack. And um, what do I do, okay? Um, I do a, a home remedy. As soon as I start that attack, I do like a lemon juice, apple juice, and um, apple cider vinegar drink. Do I th- think it works? Do I know it works? I I don't know. That goes away. Would it have gone away if I wouldn't have drunk that? Who knows? But I, I drink it because I feel like I get maybe some help with that. But I'm not going out there on Internet land going, oh, by the way, apple cider vinegar is going to prevent all of your gallbladder problems. No, we use essential oils in this household. Uh, my wife, kids, we, we feel like we might get some benefit from using essential oils to, um, and the diffuser, things like that, whether when we're cold or we're stuffed up or whatever the case may be. Um, I can't prove that any of that works. I'm not going online saying, oh, by the way, peppermint in the diffuser is going to cure and heal this, 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 this. But I still might use it because um, I or my wife, may we may feel like we're getting benefit. Can I prove it? Nope. Not at all. So don't you trash talking to me like, oh, he's just anti this or anti that or anti this. Um, we have a lot of uh, homeopathic holistic medicines for it. In fact, our kids up until Caleb was five years old had nothing over the counter other than holistic. So I'm not against any of that. Um, but I'm not going out there saying, oh, by the way, this is going to uh, do this, that, and the other. It's you know, I'm not making those statements. Um, I, I might say, you know, I feel like I get benefit from doing this. Uh, but that's me. It may not work for you. So uh, this thing things when people say, we're just totally against all kinds of rent. No, I'm not. I use them daily. Uh, but again, for chickens, it's a different thing. You know, I, there's a lot of things you got to do. So, so we're not here bashing one type of care versus the other. I mean, some people, we know, we've talked about it, sometimes for a lot of people out there across this land, their health care plan for their chickens is an ax. <laughs> Oh, somebody's sniffling. Okay, uh are having chicken for dinner tonight, oh, sweetie. Families, that works just fine. For some, they wouldn't even think about that. For some, they're spending maybe hundreds of dollars to treat chickens, and some look poorly on that. They're like, you've got to be out of your mind. This chicken was $3 at the feed store, and now you're spending $200. So, so the, I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing when we talk about the, the chicken lifestyle, uh, the vast melting pot of people that are doing this hobby and this lifestyle is uh, – fascinating and so uh, it, whether it's just like i said there was a young lady in texas that um at texas a&m university having her chicken chemotherapy yeah chemotherapy for her her pet chicken um Others have, have commented, oh, we spent $300 on this chicken just uh, yesterday uh, because she's a part of the family. She's She is our pet, and someone else is like, well, my treatment for mine would be an ax. Okay, well, there you go. So I, I guess at the end of the day, it's it's kind of uh, we've been doing this a lot. We've been doing it so much. Now there's a website, factorchickenpoop.com. There's a, a book coming out next spring, Factor Chicken Poop, um, and, uh, where we take these, these statements uh, that are made, uh, and they're statements. They're not just, well, I feel like like I just explained or I think or I get da 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 this is a statement. And then um and then we're sending those statements to the the experts in their field and saying, Hey, is there is there any any studies anywhere on the planet that comes close to to proving this or saying that this is actually beneficial for poultry? Um you cannot and we are not spending tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars doing a study that proves it does not work but again, we're not the ones getting on there all over the internet saying, hey, this works. Okay, uh, We're just saying there's no proof anywhere, no studies that suggest this would even come close to working. And even based on biological, you know, these scientists that know that, that, that there's no way this possibly could work. This, it doesn't make sense. So um, that's what we're trying to do. And then in the book, of course, at the at the bottom, we'll take a statement. We'll say, hey, is this good, bad, or ugly, uh, back or chicken poop? And then we're going to say, well, here are some suggestions that may work some may be natural, some may not be natural. I want to do the all-natural route. I understand that. Um, some people try the natural route first. If it doesn't work, then they go with the uh, more uh, mainstream medications, do maybe a vet. Um, and then uh, and then the issue there is, well, now are they sicker, and how many birds did you lose? Now, we just shared an article last week uh, about an all-organic farm that was losing 50% uh, of their birds because they weren't treating them because it was an all-organic farm, and and we, we talked about that study with Dr. McRae, and you can see it on our Facebook page. So, I mean, at the end of the day, that's, that's what it's all about. We, we want to make sure people get the right information. Uh, what you do with the information is your choice, not mind, uh, but I can sleep at night. Uh, dad, kids can be proud of daddy because we're sharing the right information. I don't have. Oh well, I wonder how many chickens are not going to really do really well because I share this information that I just found doing a Google research. So um, that's that's just what we want. To do. We want to make sure we share the right information with you. Science based fact based study based information, and then what you do with it is on, in your court. <laughs> you can you know, in one out year out the other, whatever. Keep doing what you're doing. If it's working for you, great. You know, if you're doing something and it's working for you, uh, absolutely knock yourself out. I say that at the beginning of all of my classes. I go in and say, look, every bit of information I'm about to share with you over this two-hour presentation is is has been reviewed by poultry scientists, poultry vets, poultry nutritionists, and, and so I know it is correct. I can sleep at night. What you do with it is is <laughs> is up to you when we walk. But if I do share something that may be different than what you're doing, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing it wrong. If it's a work of you, who am I to tell you to stop doing it that way? Here are some more suggestions, some added suggestions, and you can decide what to do with that uh, information. So we've got a great show. We want you to go get that pen, get that paper, uh, take lots of notes, and if we have time at the end of the show, we may try to open up the phone lines if, if there's a topic that we didn't cover. You know, I hear this all the time online, or I hear this all the time on this blog, or I hear all the, this chicken, and you, you want a question, we might be able to share some or shine some light and share some information about that towards the end of the show. I'll try to open the phone lines, and you can call in if we have time. Um, and uh, by far, we have uh, literally thousands thousands of listeners who listen to the archive, but uh, a 2 p.m. show in the afternoon, a lot of people at work. So it just depends on how many people are listening live based on what kind of live callers we get. But we're going to go to our first commercial break. going to get that out of the way come back. We're going to welcome Dr. Maurice Pateski, and we're going to be talking about some of these things uh, that we see out there, these statements that are made as if they were absolutely uh, the truth regarding uh, treatment of backyard uh, poultry. So stay with us. Get that pen and paper during break so you can take some notes when we come back. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at brensie.com. That's b r i n s e a.com. The Yardbird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The 1.5 horsepower motor and 20-inch stainless steel tub can handle two 8-pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary, which makes it virtually maintenance-free. For more information about how you can own this must-have chicken processing product, visit YardbirdChickenPluckers.com today. That's YardbirdChickenPluckers.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing.
1: And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken.
0: Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with Chicken Whisperer brought to you by our good friends over at Combox Feeds. Time to go to the phone lines now and bring on our good friend, Dr. Maurice Pateski out at UC Davis in California, and and, uh, welcome to the show again. It's always a pleasure and honor to have you on.
1: Thanks, Andy. It's great to be here
0: absolutely. Um, you actually kind of approached me with this show. This has kind of been ongoing with me for a long time, and I believe you had attended a, a workshop or something, and, and you, you, you just kind of cringed at some of the things you were hearing, and kind of the, the, the light bulb was like, oh my gosh, this, this information is getting out there, I guess, and, uh, and we were like, yes, obviously and absolutely, and you know, welcome to my world, and and, um, and, and we thought, you know, let, let's really do a show about this, and we sent you over some things that we see that's gone viral. And you, you have uh, done your research and done on some that people are sharing. And wait a minute, and, and some may be absolutely valid, and some may they just be way out there. And so that's what we're going to try to do uh, today: is share some of these things, analyze some of these things. And uh, there's probably nobody else uh, on the, in the United States that could do it better than than you, sir. So we are here to uh, um, take notes, open our minds, yours. And, and I say this is one of my favorite lines i say open our minds is that uh we we do want to have an open mind but we don't want our mind to be so open that our brain falls out so um (laughs) i think there's a there's a i think there's a fine line there so um i'm going to turn it over to you and um i'm very anxious as well to hear some of the things you have list of things and and uh, we'd like to hear some of the good the bad and the ugly from from the things that we see out there in chicken world
1: yeah well um I'm a little new to this topic because i'm um typically in the bubble of a university and um in you know university we we um approach things using what we call a scientific method, and basically that 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 I'll talk a little more about that that a little later, but more than anything, it just means we make observations and measurements and experiments and we test those um uh, hypotheses that we get, um, and then from that we 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 try to get a better understanding of of how to to how to treat uh, poultry in my situation. So, um, I'm I'm kind of more in that bubble um, as opposed to you know some of the anecdotal uh, kind of stories that I've been a little more aware of recently at at some meetings and on the internet. Um, and I think you did a great job of setting it up. I can tell it's something that you've obviously dealt with for. Um, several years, because you had a great, you know, kind of preamble there, and um, I thought it was really, really, really well-stated, everything that you said. I think it's kind of funny that, that last month we talked about uh, washing or not washing eggs, which is controversial, and this month we're going to be talking about another kind of controversial topic, so if I didn't make people upset last month, I'm sure I'll probably accidentally do it this month Um so I apologize for that in advance for people. The one thing I, I kind of wanted to mention just before we kind of go over some of the things I've, I've read on the Internet and, and kind of how I go about and, and this is the same way that, that people in the audience can go about kind of vetting the efficacy of, of different, um, different treatments, is, is beware of the simple answer. So if you go to a talk um, or you go on the Internet and someone says, apple cider vinegar works against coccidia, that is a very simple answer. There are nine different species of coccidia, and even the best treatments that we have don't treat all nine coccidia. Um, if they give you a more complex answer and they give you some references, then, then we're probably talking about something that's a little more uh, realistic because the reality is, is that even for any kind of Western treatment um, as, as opposed to um, more of the treatments that, that use um, herbs and things like that, which I'm certainly not opposed to. I, I'm, I'm in favor of whatever works, and I think Western medicine has limitations, and there is a great, you know, historical record for, um, I think, some of these other supplements. Um, but I think we have to kind of approach these, these things, you know, using kind of what's, what, what the best science tells us and those black and white statements that i kind of referred to a little earlier those simple answers of use apple cider vinegar for use for this use yogurt for this use um, raw milk for this, or pumpkin seeds for this. There, there, if you look in the literature, in some cases, there's actually some interesting um, results that are, I think, very, um, that are things that, we, 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 that, 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 that have been already tried and, and, and tested. Um, but you've got to be careful of that simple answer. And I, I've been to, I was recently at a talk where I saw a PowerPoint slide that had no references on it, and that had a whole list of those kind of simple answers to everything. And um, mm-hmm. I think it's really important for us to, to to be skeptical of that. And I was a little surprised that no one in the audience really said anything about that. And I think a lot of it's just because, you know, when we hear someone speak, if they're a good speaker and they're funny and they're entertaining and, and they, you know, maybe wrote a book or two, um, you know, those those books are not what we call peer-reviewed. Um, very often so people can write all kinds of things in a book and then they can kind of bandy it about and um, it's, it's on us and it's our responsibility to vet that out and uh, those are things that um, people like myself can help but I think you know the audience is, is obviously very intelligent too they care about their birds and uh, the world that we live in you can do a lot of vetting of, of this kind of material yourself and the one website you know you, you really want to look for things that are what we call peer reviewed And all that means is when I write a scientific article, um, it's peer-reviewed. And what that means is I write an article and I send it to a journal, whether it's Science or Nature or Journal of Poultry Science or Avian Diseases. There's a gazillion um, scientific journals out there, but they just won't publish it. What they do is they send that article to three other experts who I do not know, or if I do know them, they're not going to tell me that they're reviewing my article. And they make comments on it and they, they vet it and if they agree with everything I say in there and the way that I wrote it, um, then eventually that article will be published. That's a lot different than you know something kind of going up on the Internet saying apple cider, apple cider vinegar works against coccidia. It's just a completely different level of vetting um, that that literature has. And, and what I want to tell the audience is you have access to that literature. because the, 20 years ago you didn't have access to that literature, but if you go to the website Google Scholar, Google Scholar is a great free, obviously, um, um, tool that you can use and you can write in apple cider vinegar and coccidia and see what literature has been out there or write pumpkin seeds and coccidia or E. coli and you can start understanding what the literature says. And and the reality is you're going to read the literature and it gets confusing because not every single study is going to say something that worked or there will be limitations. So there is, you know, for example, if we're talking about – Diatomaceous earth, for example, Um, and we all know from from probably previous talks that diatomaceous earth is a great um, control method for external parasites. Um, But um, there has been some talk recently about the use of diatomaceous earth for internal parasites. So, if you consume the diet, if the birds consume the diatomaceous earth, can you actually control um, fecal egg counts and other types of adult parasites? And, again, beware of the simple answers. The literature will say something the equivalent of, well, diatomaceous earth works on one species of chicken, but it doesn't work on this other species of chicken. And it works for controlling uh, egg counts, but it doesn't work on controlling adult parasite loads. So you'll read that article, and you'll get kind of a better understanding and a much more detailed understanding of, okay, how these things actually work and don't work. And, again, the sad. That, that sim- Sorry, go on. No, no,
0: the, the, the sad and, and- Sometimes I'm delayed, so by the time you hear me talking, you've already gone on to the next sentence. Uh, yeah. I, I, I had part of a lot of that, um, Doc, is that um, people, and we've done the factor chicken poop on this, and Dr. McRae, and she'll say, someone will refer to a study, and but it's blatantly obviously didn't either read the study all the way through, or they didn't understand what the study was saying. They just took maybe a headline of the study and just said, oh, guess what, Um giving chicks probiotic uh, can eliminate salmonella in, in their adult years or something, but, but, and then mm-hmm. it was for, and then it talked maybe about broilers, but had nothing to do with layers.
1: And exactly. so it was, it
0: was, it was fascinating and how we, we use that as a perfect example of that scenario of, or oh, here's this, they didn't either understand the study, didn't read it all the way through, or now they just saw it for broilers and now they're saying for all chickens. And uh, so I think there has to be a really fine tooth comb there. They'll just see a headline and it may say something like, um, or, or this is a perfect example, someone from um, uh, Delaware State University did a study on pumpkin seeds and I think goats, and it was a very involved study in, about deworming or you know, getting rid of internal parasites. And, it's, and, and maybe the headline of it or the very beginning of Apartment uh, said something positive about it. And so that's how, oh, pumpkin seeds are an all-natural dewormer, and then when I say asked Show me the proof. They get. They. Uh, I, I expect it now. I've even talked to the person who wrote, who did the study, and they say, "Well, here it is." And I said, "Well, nowhere is chickens mentioned at all in this study." And if you read the study to the end, the goats still had worms. <laughs> they still had internal worms. They may have said some or, or like you said, this breed or that breed or this type or this variety or this delivery system, uh, but but it's but now they take that and it's just wham onto this blog or forum that pumpkin seeds prevent worms. Oh, and here's a study about goats, not chickens at all, that that shows this, and then that's how the whole thing goes viral. And you just kind of it's hard to keep up viral. And then when you try to I don't know. It's like my like my dad used to say. You know, when you try to talk some sense into them, then you're automatically the walls go up. You're deemed a bad guy. You're deemed arrogant. You're deemed you know know it all. You're deemed I, I'm not. I'm just trying to you know
1: prove here. Help me out here a little bit. You know. So yep, uh, you know, yeah, you so know I, I, I totally agree with you. We, we 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 demand this of our doctors and our physicians, and we should probably demand it from um, people that are giving us advice for our birds. Like what is what? Where is your data? What articles are you referencing? And I'm not opposed to, you know, what you kind of mentioned a little earlier, someone saying, well, this study was done in broilers, but I'm going to extrapolate the results to to, to layers, for example. Or it was done in this breed, and I'm going to extrapolate to this breed. And those are, you know, in some situations, very reasonable kind of extrapolations to make. You don't want to be stuck... In this, you know, if you have to treat your birds and um, you want to see what's available out there, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with looking at the results and the data and saying, okay, I I see those results and I'm going to extrapolate those a little further. But people really need to, I think, acknowledge that um, extrapolation because what ends up happening is you start getting this almost echo chamber of, well, I heard everywhere that apple cider vinegar fixes COXI or is good for E. coli or does A, B, C, and D. Um, and it it just gets kind of spread around. Um, And it's a lot easier to say that than it is to have some, you know, giant uh, scientific article that says, well, you know, it works in this situation, but not in this situation, in this breed and not on this breed. Um, You know, under these conditions, if you grow the seed versus these conditions, those are the statements that are really hard to to say really quickly and succinctly um, in any type of form, especially, um, you know, the way the world works now where we want – things uh, short and quick. Um, so I just would suggest that people always be aware of the simple answer, black and white is not the way science works. Um, it is, you know, we're, we're, we're still, when we, when, we, when we do an experiment, you know, we have limited funds, and we can only really try to answer one or two very specific questions. So you have to realize that um, the science in a lot of situations is not done. It, it, probably up until recently when we got negative results, you couldn't publish that in a peer-reviewed journal people are changing now they realize that negative results are great results like if you know that apple cider vinegar doesn't work and you just spent a hundred thousand dollars proving that that should be published and i think up until mm-hmm. probably the last five or ten years that was not the logic and science unfortunately now there are journals that will specifically um... Publish those kind of results because if something doesn't work, if it's a medicine that treats heart disease or if it's a medicine that treats uh, that purports to treat uh, coccidia, I want to see those results. That's just as important as a positive result. So we, we need to be kind of aware of that. Um, and then the other thing I'd point out is be careful of people that are cherry-picking. Um, so you can find articles that say – you know, e. coli can be treated by, you know, whatever the snake oil is, and we'll talk about some potential types of snake oil. But you really want to look at what is. It, have there been five or ten papers recently that have looked at that topic? So if they reference an article from the 1980s or 1990s, I'm starting to sound old because that actually, <laughs> that that's, that's actually a long time ago now, and I remember those those decades. But that's that's a good 30 years ago, and um, you want to see if there's more recent uh, literature that that maybe says a different thing. Um, Science is wrong and is wrong all the time. And that's a good thing. Um, The good part about science, though, is that we usually are able to catch ourselves eventually because we have that scientific method. If people keep on just kind of saying that something works without really testing it, then we'll never know if that truly does work or doesn't work, under what conditions it works and doesn't work. And that's really where the science comes in. And like I said, that Google Scholar is a really good place to um, start vetting that information out. And it can be really challenging looking at some of the, the, the information there. And in all honesty, when I read a lot of those papers, I can barely understand some of the things there. But you kind of grind through it and you keep on reading. And there is nothing wrong with reaching out to the professor um, and calling her or him and emailing them and asking them questions so they can clarify um, those results for you. Uh, I'll give everyone a little hint. Scientists love talking about the research. So if you call them up and you ask them a question about their paper, they will talk your ear off, and they will be so flattered and so happy that someone actually paid attention to their study back in, you know, 2000 and whatever that, that it, it will make their day. So you're not, you're not being a burden on us. And in many cases, this work is done in public universities. So we're, you're paying for this work to be done uh, through a USDA grants. Uh, FDA grants uh, you're paying for our salaries if we 're at public universities like I am at UC Davis so um, this is your your research, and you should reach out to us um, and and the nice part about my job and extension is that I get to do that research, but my job is really to reach out to the community um, at large and and communicate some of that information, which which like I said earlier is, is challenging even for people that uh, that do this kind of stuff every day. Um, the other thing I just want to mention. Really quickly, is that um, some of the homeopathic treatments that people are uh, exploring, um, those are not, you know, that and science are not mutually exclusive. So, my point being that um, some people say, well, this is a homeopathic treatment, so you can't really study it scientifically. And that's completely not true. Um, I really believe that um, the scientific method is, is broad enough to kind of facilitate all types of uh, experiments. And at the end of the day, we really want to know why something works. And there's nothing wrong with an experiment that says, look, pumpkin seeds work against E. coli, for example. We don't know exactly why, but our results suggest that it, it was a significant result and there 's nothing wrong with that and the other thing i 'll mention too, and kind of talking about you with your gallbladder, there is this thing called the placebo effect, and the placebo effect works um, and there have been studies actually in animals that the placebo effect even works um, so there, there's, there, there is something to be said for kind of the mysteries of 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 how things and how our body reacts to, um, to all kinds of things and, and science is sometimes um, not able to answer those questions in, in some ways. So what I wanted to do is um, I wanted to just go over some things that I've heard. Like I said, I was at a at a meeting recently, and I and I heard some things that were really surprising to me. Um, and then you know from online, I've, I've also read and um, a lot of, a lot of things that I've read online that were also really surprising to me. And the one thing I would encourage the audience to do under all circumstances is just. And I know you've mentioned this, and you did a great job of mentioning it, is, but you, you want to find out, you know, what is this based on? And if people say, well, it's based on my own personal experience, unfortunately, that's a good anecdotal result, but that's not something that we can really kind of lean on 100% to say, okay, that person anecdotally found out that apple cider vinegar works for coccidia. I keep using that as an example. Um but we really want to understand all the questions that you asked. Did we know what kind of coccy? There's nine different species of coccidia. So what kind of coccidia were they exposed? What kind of breed was it? Um, you know, what was your um what what test did you use to see that they were treated? Are you just looking at their clinical signs? Um, these are all kinds of things that that you know, we want to ask, and we want to understand. And if people say they wrote a book on something, or if they say, you know, if their answer is kind of this curt, like, "Well, I know I've done poultry for 30 years and I've always done this," to me, that's mm-hmm. not a reasonable science-based answer. And there's nothing wrong with trying to get a little more information about that. So I kind of broke I, um, down. Oh, sorry, go on.
0: One of mine, and sometimes the, the arguments, not, not necessarily just just get so heated, but a, a couple, there are several occasions I'm like, okay, I just have to, uh, and this really. I don't use some. Okay, I'm going to go with this because it just sounds so utterly ridiculous. It gets the point across, but sometimes, like they'll say, "Well, um, how do you know that whatever prevents uh, internal or prevents worms and chickens? Well, because I um, use this and my chickens don't have worms. But you've never had them tested to prove that or not. Now, and, and I, I use this uh, not frequently, but when I have to, um, and I say, "Well." Um, it's no different than me saying at all from what you just posted uh, about your chickens and your chicken health. It is absolutely no different than me saying um, that Twinkies prevent cancer because I eat a Twinkie every day and don't have cancer. Um, and 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 that 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 that. And then they think, well, that's just silly and stupid. But I'm like, there's there's no difference. You know, there's no difference in what you just said and that statement, which we would all probably agree is pretty stupid, um, and out there and unfounded. But the, the 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 principle is the same as you saying, well, this works because, well, I give it to my chickens and they don't have this, or I've done it for 30 years, like you said. So sometimes, uh, it, some people will say that's over the top, but it, sometimes you know that's. That's a very you can't argue with that. It's really out there. It's really crazy. The same level. It's 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 saying the same thing as that what what you were saying. So sometimes I have to use that when I'm talking to folks to make it sound like that there's no difference here, and we all agree that this is kind of silly. So but carry on because that's one thing that I have to use sometimes and, and talk to folks, and then they're like, oh okay, I, that totally makes sense now. It opens their eyes, like okay, yeah, there is no difference in that in what I'm saying.
1: No, those are perfect examples and and your your twinkie example is kind of perfect. actually, last night, I was looking a little online and reading about some medieval uh, medical treatments um that did not have um that that you know over time people realized they weren 't working at all and they were using a bile bore for example the 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 bile from the gallbladder of a boar um, in enemas to treat g i problems and they were doing tree finding, which is basically boring a small hole in the skull to alleviate. Um, mental problems and people that were that had mental disorders, and and the whole idea of medical astrology, um, and then finally the other one um, is using leeches to get rid of excess blood. So um, we do use leeches actually now, which is kind of funny, but for um, excess uh, fluid in a in a small area of injury. Um, but um, you know we want to 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 move away from some of the anecdotal ideas and and move toward, you know, science-based um, um, treatment. Because if we don't do that, we, in my mind, we take a, a giant step backwards. And in many cases, we can actually um, be harmful um, to our animals. At the minimum, we're just, you know, kind of, as you mentioned earlier and alluded to earlier, we're just using money up and time up that... Um, I mean, most people don't really want to use if they uh if it, if they're if they know they're doing something that's not helping or in the worst case scenario actually hurting. So, I want to start kind of with the the, the GI track cuz that seemed to be kind of an area of focus for a lot of people in some of these um kind of anecdotal treatments. So, if you go on to Google Scholar, if you go on to Web of Knowledge or or PubMed, all these different databases that that have all these published articles over the last 50, 60, 70 years, Um, You will not find any evidence that apple cider vinegar um, does anything with respect to treatment of uh, coccidia, E. coli, salmonella, um, any type of GI, internal parasite, bacterial, or viral. There just is no evidence. Does that mean it doesn't work? Absolutely not. But I can't find any published material that says that. So I... In my own opinion, I feel it's really irresponsible, people, when they tell you um, to uh, use apple cider vinegar and they say it in such a way that sounds so confident that they know that that's the treatment. In fact, I heard, and I I won't say um, where I heard it, but I heard someone who um, was a veterinarian mention that they had... um, that they didn't trust sending any birds to diagnostic labs. So every state has these diagnostic labs, or almost every state, if not every state has a diagnostic lab, where you can send dead or sick birds, and they will do necropsies, which is just a fancy way of saying an autopsy on your birds or your other livestock in order to figure out what kind of disease there is. And this person basically said, or not basically said, this person said that if you – that, that the diagnostic labs are often wrong and in, in, um, when they're so, – so because of that, you should send your birds um, – just send a picture to the person and uh, describe the signs and then they will um, tell you what to treat. And, and my jaw almost dropped open when I heard that because the person was basically saying that, that a photograph of a chicken plus a description on the phone – was going to be better than histopathology, where you're taking the tissues and you're looking at them under a microscope, than bacteriology and virology and growth pathology, all the stuff that a diagnostic lab is going to do in order to figure out what disease um, process that, that bird might have in order that you can protect the rest of your flock. In many states, these are free um, services, and they're performed by people that are a lot smarter than me. They've, they're not only veterinarians, but they're pathologists and bacteriologists and virologists and histopathologists. And can they be wrong? Absolutely. But um, to say that a photograph and a description over the phone is going to be a better diagnostic tool to identify what diseases your birds have than a, than a, than a diagnostic lab is, is to me, was, was an irresponsible statement. Um, like I said, they can be wrong, but, but very rarely, and what they do is, is actually a great service. And, and uh, if we don't take advantage of that service, then our, our birds can die from all kinds of diseases because the first thing we have to do is diagnose the disease and then we can know how we're going to treat it. Do we want to consider vaccinations? Um, Are there treatments for them, considering with antibiotics, for example, vaccines, um, all kinds of other things. Do we need to consider depopulation? Um, And the one thing I would mention about that is the person also said that the diagnostic lab in some cases might kill um, your flock, and that's true if your flock had avian influenza or exotic Newcastle disease. Those are foreign animal diseases, and uh, we want to... Though it, it, you were you were doing, in my opinion, a public service, and you're being responsible by diagnosing and helping the diagnosis of a flock with avian influenza or exotic Newcastle disease, because the quicker we identify those diseases, the faster we can. Um, treat that flock or depopulate that flock, excuse me, um, which is basically get rid of that flock so the disease does not spread to our neighbor's um, flocks. So it's a real service, and I think it's uh, something really important that we can actually do, and it's part of our responsibility of poultry owners when our birds are sick to get them diagnosed. Avian influenza, exotic Newcastle disease, fortunately, are exotic diseases. We don't very rarely, if ever, get them in the United States um so that is the rarest of the rare situation normally it's e-coli or salmonella or something kind of of run-of-the-mill like that and uh diagnostic labs labs will not require any kind of depopulation if if those normal diseases are there so those are great services it's a great way for um backyard owners to figure out what's wrong with their flock when or if their flock has a has a problem so the apple cider vinegar and organic apple cider vinegar thing, we um, can kind of put to rest. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is, so I wanted to mention one good one um, is I looked up oregano oil. So as mm-hmm. um, many of you probably already know, oregano oil actually does have some anticoxidial effects against um, *Imeria tanella*, which is one of the the more um, pathologic or more harmful uh, coccidia species, and there is some evidence that it also works against E. coli. So um, uh, oregano oil, um, there, there does appear to be, uh, or not does not appear to be, there, there is a lot of uh, scientific literature on the efficacy of oregano oil, and it is certainly something to consider to control Imeria, um, uh, along with all the different biosecurity things that we always talk about, uh, with respect to making sure that there's not a lot of moisture on the the, sub- the soil substrate that you have because coccidia can proliferate under those conditions. Um, there's also a lot of information about thyme oil um, and um, yarrow, which I'm not familiar with what that actually is, but there did seem to be a lot of literature um, on that. And then the other thing I'll mention that was actually um, surprising to me was diatomaceous earth as a dewormer, as a natural dewormer. So um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, diatomaceous earth is a great material to control ectoparasites, as long as your birds are dust-bathing in it. Um, but um, there had been some questions, and you, you kind of read on the Internet about people using diatomaceous earth now to control internal parasites. Um, and there actually is an article from 2011 from the University of Saskatchewan in Canada um, where supplemental diatomaceous earth um, had a kind of a mixed result. So, as we mentioned earlier, there's these breeds called Loman Browns, and Loman Browns um, are somewhat um, parasite resistant. That's one of the good things about the Loman Browns or the LBs. Um, and if you give the di- di- diatomaceous earth in Loman Browns that were given, um coccidia um, didn't seem to affect in any positive or negative way their fecal egg counts, so the number of coccidia egg counts that, that were uh, identified in the feces. However, if you gave um, the diatomaceous earth to uh, boven browns, which is another commercial breed of chicken, um, it did have a positive effect. Um, it did lower the number of coccidia eggs and also lowered uh, the number of, um, there's a nematode parasite called heteracus, which can be found in the cecum and can cause a lot of GI problems. Um, So it does have some beneficial effects, this diatomaceous earth, um, and it is something to consider. Now, I wouldn't use it as a normal part of your diet. It hasn't really been explored for that, but as a treatment for parasites, Um, it is something to consider um, in addition to all the other things that we've talked about when we think about parasite control, um, specifically um, biosecurity, um, making sure the substrate material is nice and dry, um, um, where our birds are being raised, and and things like that. Um, So going back to things that don't seem to work, um, there has been a lot of stuff on the Internet about um, raw milk, Um, as a kind of natural probiotic that you can use um, in a way that would treat all kinds of GI problems. And it's kind of the the logic of probiotics, which is an insane amount of science on the efficacy of probiotics. Um, Raw milk and dairy products, as you mentioned earlier, have lactose in them. Um, Birds do not have the gut enzyme lactase. Um, so if you do give um, lots of dairy products to chickens, you will have um, some real GI problems, just like uh, humans that have that are lactose intolerant. Um, plus, it just won't work um, because of the reason that you mentioned earlier. Um, the milk and other dairy products don't have the um, millions and billions of bacteria. Uh, probiotic bacteria, the beneficial bacteria that you find in these probiotic supplements, uh, commercial probiotic supplements that you can find at feed stores. There's been a lot of work on probiotics. It, it, there's so much work on it that it's kind of overwhelming. Um, every time I go to a meeting, there's, there's kind of new um, research on, on what we call prebiotics and how they dovetail with probiotics and which combination is the best, and in all honesty, I don't pay too much attention to that, but if you look at what we call the metadata, if you look at pretty much the, the summary, the gestalt of, of, of what probiotics offer, um, they are very efficacious. Um, there's more value in giving probiotics earlier in a chicken's life than later, um, because you can kind of seed their gut with the right bacteria. Um, but um, if birds are sick, probiotics are one of the things to consider um, as one one treatment, Um, even though there is not a lot of evidence that probiotics would work in the face of an outbreak of E. coli, for example. So it's more of a treatment that commercial producers will use Um, while their birds are being, um, while their birds are healthy, and they'll just continuously supply that along with their feed um, in order to um, hopefully um, populate the gut with with quote-unquote good bacteria as opposed to uh, bacteria that can cause uh, disease. Um, The next one is I was looking at pumpkin seeds as a dewormer. So this kind of goes to your point about uh, extrapolating from other studies So I have not found um, any literature on pumpkin seeds as a dewormer in chickens. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, there does appear to be, and I was really surprised by this, this is the great part about preparing for these kind of shows, and and just in general, all the Google Scholar stuff that's available to to all of us. Um, There have been studies in other animals, including um, cats, where they have used pumpkin seeds as a dewormer, and other seeds from squash as a dewormer, um, in order to um, reduce uh, various uh, parasites and ta- things like tapeworms in cats, for example. Um, however, this is where you have to extrapolate. So do pumpkin seeds, uh, for example, do they work against other parasites? We just don't know the answer to that. So when people say pumpkin seeds work in cats, they're making two big giant leaps. They're One, they're switching species from uh, the work that's been done in um, other species, primarily cats and dogs. Um, And they are also um, assuming that all parasites are created equal, which they're not. Um, And they're basically um, assuming that 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 extract or the pumpkin seeds themselves, and there's different ways to prepare them. And you did a really nice job, I think, of describing um, all the different variables, not only in the animals, but in the... Uh, the treatment itself, like how were those pumpkin seeds grown, what species of pumpkin were they, what species of squash were they, Uh, uh, how are they, um, how do you prepare them, Um, those are all different things because there is an active ingredient in there, and if you inactivate that active ingredient, then uh, it still might be pumpkin seeds, but it doesn't have whatever the active ingredient is. Um, Another
0: another one was a talk about there may be a study that, and, and I, because you said it, and we we talked a lot on the radio show about the oregano, of oregano, and and, and how uh, Peter Brown um, is, is huge with that. sell, but well, but anything. I'm just going to use that for an example. That someone may see a study about that, and they'll just grab it and go. But deeper in the article, it says something about, but. The, the chicken can only really utilize the oil of oregano properly if it's dilu- or mixed with this other vitamin or this other mineral that, that that allows this oregano to be absorbed or even utilized. So, and then I can see, and then it's basically like a, 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 or a uh, oregano oil or this oil mixture. And then, so people will grab that, and then you've got people just going to the store, going down the spice aisle, buying a big shake can of oregano for their pizza and then just shaking it on the food, and now they think they're getting these great results when really just shaking the oregano... You know no studies there it's got to be the the oil of oregano and then it has to be even utilized with this other vitamin or mineral so to be able to be processed or used appropriately so but that that's another thing that I've seen I'm just using that as an example but where where this works but it has to be delivered this route or this way and you it's, we see it's very helpful and more beneficial to mix it with this other vitamin or mineral so, to, to help with absorption or for them to even be able to utilize it like they should to get these results and then what are you going to see on the blogs oh this is going to prevent all of this other stuff they don't like you talked earlier you know they didn't read far enough or understand that now just sprinkling some oregano over your chicken feed is is you're not going to get the results and that's the bad part they think they're helping when they're really not because of something they saw when a little bit more study a little bit more research a little bit more work on their part then yeah maybe they can get some benefit uh out of that and i, I also see that so much when we have other guests yourself on and we talk about this and they analyze it deeper. Yeah, well, this works, but look at all the stuff you have to go through. Uh, we're going to do, and not that is this a segue, but we're, we're, I think I've tracked down somebody that come on and really knows their stuff about fermented feed and, and chickens. And, and, and her issue is she will be talking about some of the dangers of that. She'll talk about the benefits, but at the, the, the end of the day, that she sees she's at university of kentucky uh that there and she's like is that the problem is on the internet it just boils down to um uh, put some laying pellets in a five gallon bucket and cover it with water and just wait a week and then give that to your chickens and it's so much more than that and there's so much more to look out for to look at the danger the illnesses the, 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 the different micro toxins and things that that um yeah, so it's it's that's that's the other issue. Oh, this is great! You just put it's so easy. just put some food in the bucket, a little water, and then just wait a week and then give it to your chickens. And 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 that's the issue. It can be done correctly. It can reduce the amount of feed. It can have these benefits, but only if it's done right. Versus just throwing some water on some laying pellets and let it sit for a week. So, so I wanted to share that with folks too is that um, read that study more in depth and see if that, instead of just taking the tagline at the top, and see if yeah we get these benefits, but we have to do a lot to this or add to to get the benefit from, say, this, that, or the other. And we see that a lot as well. So carry on, my friend.
1: <laughs> no, and that's, that's a great – thank you for interjecting there. That, that, that's the exact reason why, um, when it comes to vaccination, why with certain vaccines especially, I will not – um, allow people or I will not facilitate people using certain vaccines because they think it's just as simple as putting the vaccine in the water or they think it's you know putting an eye eyedrop um, in their eyes or injecting them and there are certain vaccines and the one that comes to mind is infectious laryngotracheitis if you vaccinate the birds incorrectly that virus can actually revert to virulence and cause disease not only in your flock but in your neighbor's flock and your neighbor's neighbor's flock after that and outbreaks can start that way so it is really important to um, understand the minutia. So, for example, the oregano oil thing, you made a great point there about um, how it's not just as simple as, you know, basically reading the abstract and then squirting that in the water. The reality is it's usually a little more complicated than that. Um, and if, if someone was going to ask me, like, okay, I'm going to use oregano oil, what should I do? I would tell them look i I need to talk to you know I, I know a commercial veterinarian who works with some organic flocks in southern California, and I would call him and ask him um you know how do you do this and i would what I would do is I would call around if if, if this is something that someone's really serious about and they really want to make sure that they're doing the right thing and you know you don't want the last thing you want to do is do the wrong thing in such a way that causes harm to your to your birds, so if you really want to do the right right thing you know Find the articles that, that, you're, that, you're, that you're using as references and call the authors um, or call your extension veterinarians um, in your state or outside of your state if, if there's someone who's, um, who's, who's qualified, and, and ask them what you should do. I mean, that's why all this, this expertise is here. And over time, you'll be able to, to become kind of an expert in that. Like I said, with Google Scholar, um, there is so much information that's available, and it, it, like everything, it takes time. I realize, and there's a lot of mixed information there, um, but you want to kind of get the the general kind of overview of of what the data suggests. And these are hard things to interpret, so um, you know, kind of kind of grinding through them over weeks and months. Is, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, let's so head down the, the list. other one. Oh, sorry. Go on.
0: Hey, let's head on down the list. This is great.
1: Yep. Um, so I think that covered most of the GI. I want to talk a little about nutrition next. Um, so I did hear someone say something um, about these things called phytases. So, um, as most people probably know, calcium and phosphorus are really important um, as. Um, minerals for egg production, and we need a correct ratio of the two, and that's why the layer rations that are produced, the commercial layer rations or that are produced by feed mills, are so specific on the amount of calcium and phosphorus they'll, p- they'll put in there um, in order to make sure that your birds are able to produce eggs and also um, be healthy at the same time. It turns out that phosphorus is usually complexed with this thing called a, a phytate, and um, the phytates prevent absorption of phosphorus. So um, usually, if, the, if not usually, but if the birds are not, uh, if the phytates are still there, the phosphorus will just go straight through their GI tract and onto the ground. Um, so um, I heard someone say at a recent meeting, uh, "Don't buy any poultry feed with phytases in it." And they provided no evidence, aside from saying that they wrote a book about nutrition at some point in their lifetime, um, and they provided no evidence of why you'd want to get rid of that, other than it is the phytases are not natural. And what the phytases do is they allow absorption of phosphorus. So instead of paying good money for feed that has phosphorus in it, and then having that phosphorus go straight to their system onto the ground – Um, having feed with phytases um, is actually a really good thing because now you're actually getting that phosphorus absorbed. um, And there are some natural phytases, but probably not enough in the feed to make sure the birds are getting enough phosphorus. And um, it's something just that I, I heard that I was also a little disturbed on again look in the literature don't don't trust me on it. Go to Google Scholar and start learning about phytases if that's something that you're concerned about, and look at the at the data and and reach out to to the faculty members and the professors who wrote those articles if you want to learn more about them. Again, beware of the simple answer If someone says something is good or bad, I'm usually a little skeptical of that. They usually want to at least qualify their answer. Here's why this is good, it's good for treating uh, this type of parasite, but not for treating this type of parasite. When they give you those really broad stroke kind of answers that this works against everything, I I get very skeptical of them. Um, so we talked a little about the raw milk. Um, there are commercial probiotics that are available that have been tested um, that are well understood how, how they work and the efficacy of them. Um, raw milk, and we're not going to go into a whole show on raw milk right now, but raw milk does have um, some public health um, issues also um, with respect to listeria and human health, for example. Um, so there just isn't a reason to use it. And, in fact, this is a perfect example of actually how you can be harming your birds. Um, by giving them something that they can't metabolize and can cause some GI problems. And if there's one thing that I've noticed about birds, if they have one problem, birds are tough. Um, They will not show any signs of disease. So if they have an E. coli infection or something like that, there's nothing wrong there. But if you give them a second problem, if you start feeding them a diet that they shouldn't have, then that first problem becomes a problem. So usually when birds have two or three problems, that's when you start seeing clinical signs and disease. Um, and sometimes it's two infectious diseases, sometimes it's E. coli and then they've got infectious um, a bursal disease or something like that and that puts their E. coli over the top. Nutritionally it's the same thing. If, if they have um, some type of, if you're, you're not feeding them the right feed and they've got this low level E. coli in, infection like probably most birds do because E. coli is so ubiquitous, um, you will put them over the top and they will have some pathology there eventually, especially if you're doing this on a daily basis. I know we all try to spoil our chickens, but those chicken feeds are, are perfect rations for what, they're, for what they're designed to do, produce eggs or produce meat or whether they're molting. Um Those are the ones we want to stick with. There's nothing wrong with supplementing them a little with scratch every once in a while and all the other things that we like feeding chickens um because they're they're really good at at, at kind of disposing of you know some of our um, things from our kitchen for example, but that needs to be a, at a minimum not not um not a common occurrence so on egg production um one thing um, I've heard about and, and Andy's made me aware of is the idea of red pepper flakes increasing egg production in the winter. Um, so, again, when I look at this on Google Scholar and Promed and um, uh, the Web of Knowledge, um, Biosis, all these different databases with all these scientific articles on there, I can't find any evidence of red pepper flakes. And then this kind of goes to an earlier point you made, excuse me, regarding. Um, you know, how what what's the mode of action? So if I'm going to write a grant, so if someone calls me up and says, well, no one's done this red pepper flake experiment, why don't you do it? And and what I would have to do is I can't just, you know, ask the, the USDA for $100,000 to do a study on red pepper flakes and egg production. Um, I'd have to show a mode of action. So what is it in red pepper flakes that people believe would cause an increase in egg production? Um, and I don't know enough about red pepper flakes to know what that would be, but if you look at pumpkin seeds and oregano oil, there are hypothesized and sometimes less and more, um, there, there are ideas about what the active ingredient is um, that's causing the benefit. And in red pepper flakes, we'd have to be able to, to suggest what we think the the improvement is. But the point is in red pepper flakes, there's no um, increase in egg production as far as what the data says. And if you look at, you know again, the mode of action, when you think just in the broadest strokes possible, what causes an increase in egg production? We're talking about light. We're talking about energy. We're talking about the protein in the diet. We're talking about calcium and phosphorus. So those minerals that are really important, those macro minerals, I, I can't see any mode of action that would, that from, from, from what we know about red pepper flakes and the limited information that I know about red pepper flakes that would actually um, be consistent with increasing light or increasing energy or calcium or phosphorus. So... Um, Again, I think these are things that that just kind of get stuck on the internet and and people start kind of repeating it. You could kind of get this echo chamber effect and and people start uh, um, kind of believing at a certain point. Um, And then the the last one, um, the last two I wanted to mention, I want to talk about uh, molting a little. Um, So molting is um, a process um, where uh, birds' reproductive tracts will shut down and they'll start losing feathers. Um, and that molting process, during that molting, it's basically the birds are basically just um, giving their, their GI, not their GI, the reproductive tract a little break. Um, and they, during that process, they lose their feathers um, and they grow back those feathers and their reproductive tract will regenerate. So you can imagine they need a lot of energy and a lot of protein during that. Um, so there has been some talk about dog and cat food as a molting diet, Um And like I said, typically molting, you need to replace all those feathers that those birds have lost. Feathers have a lot of protein in them. In fact, feathers are about 85% protein. So I think that's where the idea of dog and cat food diets has come in. Um, But cat food especially is really high in salt, um, and that is not really conducive with a poultry diet. Um, So I would highly recommend against using other formulated feeds for other animals in uh, a species that it hasn't really been tested in. And I did look in the literature on that, and and there are these things called the NRC guidelines um, for different uh, animal feeds, um, and they'll basically look at what are the requirements for protein and salt and calcium and phosphorus. And the guidelines give us guidance on what a dog food, a cat food, and a poultry and a livestock feed um should actually have in it and those are not identical so it would be one of these things you you would you would not want to do for that specific reason so even if you wanted to do the study there the reviewer would say well look at the nrc guidelines if they're not the same then why would we want to give poultry something that they're not supposed to have for example excess mm-hmm. salt um and then the last one i, I wanted think- to mention oh sorry
0: at the end of the day on that one I think a lot of people do it just because it's easy they already have a cat or they already have a dog they already have the dog food or the cat food and they're like oh it's high on protein I'll give it to them it's easy it's already on the back deck I'll let them eat it it's going to help them because it's extra protein um, but but like I said I mean, there's plenty of products on, on the market that uh, are for poultry higher that can increase their, their protein whether you go back to a, a grower feed or you know, a a um, with chick feed, you know, chick starter without um, Mm -hmm. the the ambrosium in it or or other supplements that people make for poultry. I think a lot of people do that just because it's easy and they already got it. But then, of course, they share it all over the Internet because they saw it somewhere. So thank you very much for mentioning that one.
1: And then the the last one I want to talk about was, was bedding. So um, in California, we have a lot of rice farms or a fair amount of rice farms. So I always like um, rice hulls as a bedding material, in part because it's soft, it's not abrasive, it's absorbent. Um, Those are kind of the main qualities you look for. The birds um, can uh, do a good job of... um, uh, dust bathing in kind of those rice holes in the sense that they'll they'll kind of rototill and compost uh, their, their, any kind of uh, fecal matter there. It's really nice because um, if managed correctly and if the birds are, 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 are using those rice holes correctly, they basically compost their own uh, fecal material. And I don't see any reason for sometimes months to years why you don't need to um, replace those rice holes. One of the ones I've been seeing more recently written about is sand. Um, And uh, sand can be a little more abrasive. And there is a poultry disease called bumblefoot. And bumblefoot is basically uh, an infection of their feet. And they get that because um, of usually husbandry practices that aren't ideal. So they get small scratches in their feet. Um, and they can get scratches from sand, and then the bacteria that's in the environment is usually either E. coli or Staphylococcus aureus or Pseudomonas, and that causes this kind of bumblefoot infection, which is a really large swelling on their foot. Um, Bumblefoot is really hard to treat. Um, There are antibiotics that work against all the bacteria I just mentioned. The problem is getting those antibiotics in the right concentrations in their foot, so if I give them an injection or I give them oral antibiotics, does that mean that that antibiotic is going to get to the foot at the concentrations that we need? No, unfortunately. So now you're dealing with a really hard thing to deal with, and you can get you know, literally chickens hospitalized and $1,000 vet bills for, for dealing with bumblefoot. So in order to avoid bumblefoot, using uh, sand is not really a good material um, because, like I said earlier, it can be a little abrasive, and it can scratch the bottom of their feet and cause bumblefoot. So there's, there's no real reason to use sand, um, but for some reason that seems to be something that I've read a little more about recently as far as people trying to um um trying to use it um as a, I think as a substrate that, uh, material
0: we we've I've had so many uh poultry experts try to try to analyze this, sit down and, and rack our heads over this and at the end of the day at the very end of the day, after analyzing everything, pros, cons, the only advantage that, that anybody could has suggested ever is that you can use the the coop bedding or the flooring as a cat litter box. You can go in daily with a little uh, a slotted spoon or a scoop and individually scoop this up as you would a, a cat litter uh, okay. box. And uh, that that is it. That's all the there, – there's so many negatives we talked about. The bumblefoot was one of them, uh, you know, because everybody suggests everybody soft and absorbent. That's our goal with bedding, and and that, and sun, sand is nothing of that. And then mm-hmm. jumping off the roof, you want to have many inches of bedding so they have a softer landing, and, and it's not – oh, the list goes on of negatives from all these poultry professionals, but the only positive at the end of the day, so you can go in and scoop it like a cave. If you want cats, get cats and have a litter box, but chickens aren't cats. And uh, that's the only, at the end of the day, what a lot of positives people are getting from this. But they just seem to ignore the the negatives. Oh no 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 no! Uh, but but I can at least go in there and scoop the individual uh, chicken poop out, which makes life easier. But I'll so I'll ignore all those negative things. So, but uh, no, thank you for sharing that on on the sand, Doc.
1: Yep. So so those are the main ones I wanted to go over. But again, you know, be wary of that simple answer, um, that black and white answer. And if people tell you they wrote books or um, they've done this for 30 years. That's great. And that anecdotal information is really insightful in a lot of cases, but it's still anecdotal. And, and as long as people are willing to acknowledge that, I think um, it's great that they can kind of share what they think works. Um, but again, it shouldn't be stated as fact. Um, and, and in fact, when I give talks, very rarely will I say, look, this is what you do for if you have A, you do B, because it's just not the way medicine works, unfortunately. There is... Um, a lot of qualifiers in medicine, and there's just a lot we still don't know. Um, we can always extrapolate, and that's kind of what medicine is. You know, we, we, we kind of look at where, what the data and what the literature suggests, and then we try to make a, a scientifically-based uh, sound decision based on that. But, you know, these kind of broad brushstrokes, you know, kind of terms, and, and sometimes the um, – the confidence that some people have in saying certain things without any evidence at all, aside from, you know, that they're, they've are they done this for a long time, um, kind of has really surprised me. You just don't, you don't see that kind of, usually most scientists are so measured in what we say that it's probably frustrating for people because they just like tell me, like, just tell me what to do, doc, just tell me and I'll do it. And, and Unfortunately, the answers aren't always that simple, so we, we kind of qualify ourselves maybe too much for the, for the audience where some people um, will kind of take one little blurb and um, kind of run with it in, in a way that's probably not useful and uh, intellectually honest.
0: It's 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 fascinating and it's so frustrating for me and because you try to do a lot that we've talked about during this show on a forum and 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 more times than not you're labeled again the the bad guy you're anti-natural you're you're you know you're know-it-all you're arrogant all I'm doing is asking for proof you're the one that mentioned it at the beginning of the page not me I just want to what what findings you have to come out and say that statement that's all I'm saying and uh, it, you know and, and then how many people Uh, I've seen, say, well, well, I'll mention you, I'll mention Dr. McCray, I'll mention the people at uh, uh, Fred, all these people, you know, and uh, they're like, um, well, well, do they even keep chickens? (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm like, so that's... That's your rebuttal to all these poultry experts with, you know, doctor degrees. and is that Well, do they even have backyard chickens? And uh, it just, it's just laughable sometimes. It's just amazing. Or uh, when they go and they read something at Fact or Chicken Poop. And the book will be a little bit different. The Fact and Chicken Poop website is that here's the statement someone made. Here's the expert's response to that. And, again, we're not spending millions of dollars to say this does not work. just like the show. We're saying there's nothing that shows that it does work. And so so they'll say that, like like they're winning the argument. Like, well, uh, in, in the doctor's response just now, he didn't say it. There's no proof it doesn't work. <laughs> and that's, right, their, right. That, that's using that to justify that it works by saying there's no right, way that right, it right. says or Work and it's just oh you just want to pull your hair out but hey we s you know baby steps we're we're, we're um, uh, taking this uh, one step at a time and by doing shows like this the magazine the book the whole nine yards the fact of the chicken coop website and we thank you for participating in all of that and all that you do to educate us and it's always a pleasure to have you on and we always look forward to having you on next month as well.
1: Great well thanks for having me I appreciate it
0: great thank you very much uh for coming on the show again that is uh maurice doctor maurice uh, poteski with uc davis and uh, we've got more uh when we come back after this short break so stay with us do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter in most cases it's not necessary But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy efficient, long lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. One hundred percent of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver hen aprons at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Come
1: back, come back, back, come back, come back,
0: come back, 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 All right, thank you very much uh, for staying with us today. We had a great show uh, today. We had a great show on Tuesday with poultry scientist and professor Dr. McCray. And if you're a new listener, now you know where to go to get science-based, fact-based, study-based information right here, uh, Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisper uh, radio show and podcast and our magazine. Now, you can subscribe to the digital edition of Chicken Whisper Magazine absolutely free. Just go to chickenwhispermagazine.com, hit the subscribe button. You'll see a way that you can subscribe for free. We'll email it to four times a year same thing as the print edition we would love for you to, to order the print edition we'll mail it right out to you it's cheaper than all the uh in fact you can get a year subscription of chicken Whisper magazine mailed to your door cheaper than i think two of the other magazines and i promise you you'll never see chickens wearing clothes in my magazine ever 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 um so uh, which i can't say that for the other ones so anyway um so we encourage you to to do that uh we are Wrapping up in the next week or two, uh, the official second edition of the Chicken Whispers Guide to Keeping Chickens. We're hoping that'll be released late spring of this coming year in 2017, and by the end of the year, uh, hopefully December 31st, January 1st, we will be complete with the Factor Chicken Poop book, uh, which will probably be released the following spring, uh, maybe by Christmas of next year, uh, for those stocking stuffers, and then of course for all the folks that uh, springtime, of course, we know is hot for the Backyard poultry uh, hobbyist, so uh, we anticipate it being ready for their chock full of information and where the book is going to differ from just the website, packed We'll have the statement that someone has made as if it were true. We'll have a response from someone like uh, um, Dr. Peteski today. And then we will have recommendations like, well, okay, here's some things that now do work. There's just not enough for on the website to do that. So it's just we take the statement and say there's no proof that this exists. Um, and then now the, the book, we want it to be as beneficial as possible at the bottom of that. It will say, okay, now here are some things that do work for some mental parasites. Here are some things to, that you may want to use to increase the protein in their diet if they're multi. Here are some things that you want to do to, to for bedding, uh, since you probably don't want to use sand for the various reasons. And again, to this day, uh, nine years of doing the show, uh, tons and tons of ex- experts on the show, in the book, in the magazine, visiting uh, universities. I've never want, had anybody recommend a ultra professional sand for bedding and I go not one. That that's all I need to know. So, um but yeah, so so Ian, thank you for Joining us today, we broadcast uh, every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We've got Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor. We've got poultry scientist Dr. McRae. We've got Dr. Patiskey on. And it was, we sometimes back that up with a show on Tuesday like we did this week, um, especially if we have current events or things that are going on. And I'll wrap it up with this little update. I did hear back from CDC yesterday, and I... Uh, a uh, public information request has been approved. Uh, we'll be getting the information that I requested. Um, it's in line. So basically, um, it's first come, first serve. It's it's in order as they receive these public information requests, regardless if the information I'm requesting is just uh, a paragraph long, and it's within a current outbreak that's happening now. But someone who got their request in before me may be requesting 400 pages of inf- information from 1980. Uh, and so that's that's the holdup now is that they do it in that, methodical, timely, first-come, first-served manner, and that's what's holding mine up. But um, I will be getting the names of the hatcheries and their suppliers if they do outsourcing, um, hopefully sooner than later. And uh, in, in, the, in this winter issue of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, we're going to be uh, exploding a lot of stuff out there. Um, we're going to invite you know, MPIT to come on and talk about the, uh, the confusion there between Salmonella Monitor Program, and just somebody that participates in MPIP at the very basic level and has their chickens tested for Salmonella Bovorum, Typhoid, which uh, people it doesn't affect people. It's a bird disease, but people say, oh, my my birds are Salmonella free. But wait you're not participating in the Salmonella Monitoring Program. It's a whole, oh, my God, this is just so much stuff It gets so deep. And um, so we're talking about that. We, I came across last week uh, contacting a major hatchery in the United States, asking them, hey, do you participate in the Salmonella Monitoring Program through through a chat on their page, on their website? And the, initially, the, yes, we do participate. Because we participate in MPIP, we also participate in the Salmonella Monitoring Program. And they don't called MPIP, but we found it doesn't. I have all the screenshots, and then when I emailed them to get the same information, then they said, oh, yeah, we gave you the wrong information, uh, we do not participate in the sale. So even you have big hatcheries uh, that that are aren't very clear on on or their employees that aren't very clear on getting the right information into their customers' hands, which we want to address. And just uh, again, let's educate better so people know. And what just you know things you need to ask when you call and do more mail order chicks uh, as well. Very very very. Uh, important there as well. Um, tons and tons of stuff. Like so, so you're ordering chicks from this hatchery. Well, guess what? Your chicks are, you're getting, uh, they're being outsourced to another hatchery. They may be salmonella monitored too, but they may not be, even though you just asked the hatchery you're ordering from. They are salmonella monitored, but the hatchery you're outsourcing from is not. So all this stuff is just, ooh, all these, uh, uh, whatever you want to call them, holes that you got to chase out of. It's this, this, like a spoke. You've got this one topic, and all the spokes come out of that, that wheel, uh, that hub uh, that we're following to have a really good educational issue for you for winter, the winter issue that you can listen for magazine. It's it's going to be fascinating, uh, very educational, very eye opening, and uh, so it is not by any stretch of the imagination, by not of any means, to. Um, Give these hatcheries a black eye. We're going to be contacting the hatcheries that are listed and say, "Hey, um, you know, what what's your status? We want to come on the show. Tell us what you know." And um, they may, you know, be doing everything possible to try to remedy this from ever happening again in their hatchery, and that's great. Pat them on the back. This is not a black eye. We just want to know what they're doing to try to prevent this from happening because we've had had a hatchery that for five or six years straight was being named in these salmonella outbreaks every single year and um we want to have we want to have them come on the show we want to have them give us their side of the story and what and what they're doing to try to prevent this so so maybe you don't order them Maybe you don't order from them this year, but you feel comfortable ordering next year once they you know, they've, they've identified the problem and eliminated it. You know that's that's all we want to do here. And uh, but then there's a lot of these other things that have happened because of the salmonella outbreak. Um, like you, I talked talking with the CDC. Is why are you calling this an outbreak with backyard poultry? Yes, the birds end up in the backyard. I get that, but we're. We're not really getting a fair shake because we're getting the tainted birds from the hatcheries you know you didn't blame you didn't say some uh, uh, Listeria outbreak related to ice cream lovers when Bluebell had their outbreak. no, you named Bluebell and said took it off the market and said, you know you probably don't want to buy Bluebell right now um, but but you're now you're talking about the backyarders being a problem so all this stuff, oh my gosh it's absolutely nuts, but uh, we're going to share all this great information with you say God bless everybody we'll see you next week <laughs> bap <laughs> bap